We at the Unsolicited Advice Column acknowledge that this podcast is recorded on the unceded land of the Darug people. We value the wise, courageous and resilient culture of Australia's First Nations peoples and acknowledge their significant connection to land, sea and community. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Hey, I'm Nicole. And I'm Ellie. We're best mates in our 30s who are learning how to parent, love a good chat and dishing out unsolicited advice. We want to be a friend in your pocket or in your earbuds who will learn with you and that you can have a laugh with. All right. Welcome to the Unsolicited Advice Podcast. Hey. Hey, sorry I'm late. How are you? Oh, you're late. I'm late. Sorry, mate. How are you? Yeah, I'm not too bad. I'm not too bad. What's been happening? Um, Not a lot. Like, got um, Jenko on holidays at the moment, so things are like (gasps) nice just hanging and having that extra pair of hands has been awesome yeah. and just getting to hang out with my bestie is pretty nice too so it's good oh wait so is Jenka your best friend or is uh little boyo your babe your best friend <laughs> both <laughs> oh what about me I thought I was your best friend <laughs> oh sorry yeah. also you <laughs> well if wait. we're going back to last week's friendship episode it's a we're tea. All the same tier. <laughs> it's a tea. <laughs> No, it wasn't last week. It was a couple of weeks ago. Oh, my gosh, because we have that many podcasts now. Yeah. We're doing it. So Um, anything exciting going on? uh, We're doing a little bit of reno, like renos in the backyard, which is kind of fun and exciting and just trying to make things a little safer for the baby for when he can walk, (laughs) which is not yet. Um, But not that far away. Yeah, but also not that far away. He's sitting up, which is like, what? You can what sit champion. now? Look at those abs in action. Oh, it's nuts. It's nuts. So, yeah, it's pretty cool. So that's kind of what's been happening here. What about for you? Uh, yeah, nothing too exciting. Um, moving. I'm moving. That's, that's <laughs> not exciting. Um, well, it is exciting, but it's also stressful. Um. <laughs> We're cleaning out children's rooms at the moment, which is causing a lot of tears <laughs> and uh, grief. But, um, but yeah, no, it's going to be good. It's going to be exciting. It'll be awesome. I actually was thinking about you today. I was looking at my wardrobe and just thinking how great moving house would be for just clearing out some stuff, like doing a really good deep clean and like a cull I'd love to cull yeah but do you know what the wardrobe is bigger in the next house so <laughs> that is problematic but I did actually not that many weeks ago pull out all these things that I actually really enjoyed wearing and I love wearing but I actually don't wear anymore because I have outfits that have like superseded those mm. um as my outfits of choice so yeah, I've pulled out a whole bunch of things, but then now we're moving, so they're just all sitting in bags. So I think once we get to the new house, they'll stay in bags and we'll try and work out where they get to go to the recycle centre or yeah. um, find another home. Oh, what a good idea. Yeah. I love it. It's amazing the things that you end up, that you find out that you have or you end up with and you think, how do I have 20 pairs of shoes? That seems like I like I wear the same four pairs of shoes where are these other ones coming from? Yeah, I know. Well, I, like that is actually so me this year. I, I'm, as you know, I'm wearing like my winter burkies and my summer burkies and my joggers. Mm. 
And that's kind of it. Like I live between these three pairs of shoes and I love it. Like it's actually so easy getting dressed in the morning, having a uniform, jeans, jumper, Berkies, done. done. Like yeah. I, when it's so, so easy. When they're so comfortable, what more could you want? Yeah. What more could you want? Secrets <laughs> of the universe. <laughs> On my feet. Oh, it's awesome. It's so good. It's actually, but it makes me think about how easy having a, a uniform for work would be. Oh, like, yeah. Just pull out T-shirt, pair of pants, jacket, shoes, you're done. But you could set up your own uniform for work and just have, because I I effectively have like a black skirt, two different pairs of black pants, and I have a bunch of shirts that I just like rotate around and it is the most boring I want to be someone who's like an excellent and creative and glamorous looking person at work, but I leave the house at sometimes 5.30 in the morning to go to the gym and then I get changed in the gym bathroom, like after, after showering, obviously I'm not Grace. Um, and then like, you know, so whatever I wear has to be able to be packed in a bag and like come out the other end looking somewhat flat, like as in not creased. Yes, yes. So that limits options. And also yeah. in winter, it's so cold that trying to find things that are warm enough, but then when you get inside, does don't melt you. Yeah, transitional pieces. So it, just like a really good jacket, like a good puffer, I think is awesome. Just throw it on over the top. Mm. Be warm that way. Jackets. Do you know, I actually caught the train today with this lady who had a red coat on and it made me very jealous because I, you, you know, I have a red coat that I love that I've had for years, but it's lived its life. Yeah. Um, and I watched her get on. She actually hilariously got on two stops after me. Then we sat on the trains, changed trains together and walked out and walked into the same building to go to work. So we obviously work in the same place. And this afternoon we, I got to the train platform and she was waiting to get on the same train to come home. And I wanted to say something to be like, Hey, fast seeing you. I'm not following you. And then I second guessed myself because I thought maybe she didn't recognize me, and that would be really creepy. So I didn't say anything, but I did see her red jacket, and I was like, Mm-mm, "Should I get another red it's jacket?" Tempting, isn't it? It's such mm-hmm. a good color on you. I 100% support the red coat for you. I just do it, do it. Hey, B is not a fan. But I do find it very useful in crowded spaces. Yeah, but not just crowded spaces, just for expressing yourself. Like my party jacket. Yeah. What about that stuff this week with Jonah Hill and the text messages? Have you read anything about this? um, I did read some of the text messages actually this morning on the train. Um, And some of them are pretty, I mean, I don't know if they're taken out of context. I don't obviously don't know their full back and forth. But some of them are really bit slutty. I think he kind of gaslights her a bit. Yeah, it's interesting to me. I find it really fascinating because I love that we're having a conversation about how boundaries work in relationships and how mm. you can't enforce your boundaries on another person. That's not a boundary. That's manipulation. Mm. Yeah, But that would be the same as, um, not the same, but okay. it makes me think a little bit of um that saying of like you have a choice to be offended by like you can choose to be offended by the things or you can choose to just move on 
from that. And I think that's not necessarily useful in all scenarios, but it's that you actually have, you have a little bit of control over whether or not you do certain things, but you actually don't have any control over what other people do. If other people want to say things that are mean and nasty, unfortunately, you actually can't control that. People live going to live their own lives, but you can choose to react how you choose to react. Um, I love that so much. Yeah. So like I kind of think of it like that where it's it's the case of you can have your own boundaries and you can live within your boundaries, but you can't enforce your boundaries on somebody else because they're their own person and they will have their own set of, of guidelines as to what they think is acceptable. Yeah, I really like that. We've got a, um, a beautiful, have you read the book The Boy, The Horse, The Mole and The Fox? Fox and the Mole. The... That's, a lot of That's not together. the right order of all the things. It's a beautiful book, right? Um, and in it, it's got like lots of pages with lots of different really beautiful sentiments and ideas. Anyway, so what we do is we bought one, chopped it up, put them some of them in frames for his wall art in his room. That's really cute. Life hack. Um, <laughs> Except that I'm a little bit against the whole cutting up of the books thing, but I'd rather be recycled than thrown away. We have... We, we bought a second copy specifically so we could chop it up. Look at you. Yeah. Make sure we, that the the writers get their full dollars worth. That's right. Absolutely. We didn't photocopy it. We chopped <laughs> it up. Um, and but- it says like the thing, the one of the ones that we chose was the greatest power we have is how we react to things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Actually, that's a misquote. That's not it. I'm going to check it. I'll be two sex. okay all right you're back I'm back and it says one of our greatest freedoms is how we react to things yes I like that a lot yeah it's good isn't it but the I think there are lots of things that can be learned from children's books like even when I've read um over at your house read books to your little one or books to our crew I just find myself learning from them like at the moment the our five-year-old's reading um she did all the little men and now she's doing all the little miss and they're all like you know little miss sunshine or little miss grumpy or little miss small but they actually teach kids like one of them is little little bit little miss nosy and it's telling you teaching them about how to make sure they're not sticking their nose in other people's business and like the right way to go about that which I think is quite funny um but they do it in like this really kind of having a laugh way or it'll be um the one the other day she was miss mischievous and she used to do all these things but they actually worked out that they were all maybe not that funny they were all actually just a little bit mean and Mm. that that actually she thought it was being funny but actually it was making other people really sad so um yeah like things like that I think they're really useful for just teaching really basic emotions well I think that's the point like children's literature generally is very didactic right like it it really has that purpose of like um I suppose like inculcating social values um and educating kids about what we as a society value and I think are important it's interesting some of the books that we've been given for um Boyo are beautiful but they're really preachy like they they have a an agenda like a real message that's coming through 
like not a lot of them, but a couple of them, like just have this mm. really clear um, didactic message that's like you can't miss it. <laughs> but a good message or a bad message? Positive, super positive. Oh, like um, one of the ones we got is just it's this magnificent book. It's so beautiful and the writing is beautiful, um, but it's like it's very, very, very clear that climate change is real and we've got to do something about it and the planet is your responsibility to look after. And I love it. Like I think that it's actually so important that the the books that we read to our kids reflect um, our values and like we help kids understand what our values are through literature. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they can, they're like there's such great tools in that way, like but even like I know the bluey books that I've been reading um, yeah. to the baby are like they're so cute. The narrative is really good, but the messages are quite good too because they're quite real. It feels quite mm. um, real and modern. And then there are just these beautiful. There's this one that my mother-in-law bought for Boyo, and um, it's called "You Are Light," and mm. it's so beautiful. It's got these like little panes and. The message there, though, is less overt but still mm-hmm. really special about this kind of interconnected nature of like of our planet and world and people. Mm. I just love it. It's, there's some really beautiful kids' books that just, yeah, they're wonderful. Yeah. And I think sometimes, too, I will read with the kids books that I read as a child but reading them as an adult I get something totally different out of them um like we just read Charlotte's Web and you know it's been probably 20 years since I read it myself and I just I feel like I was experiencing all of it all over again but even um like one of my favorite books is Saving Francesca from Melina Marchetta. She's a great Australian author. I really like her her stuff, but she does a lot of teen, um, young adult fiction. Um, but they're all based in and around Sydney, and um, or a lot of them are based in and around Sydney. Um, but Saving Francesca deals with some pretty big, tough topics around like fitting in and you know, facing challenges at home when people aren't well and how you how you kind of work through that. And as a child or a teenager, I read it one way and then I read it maybe five years ago and I looked at it so differently because I could relate to like the mom's illness because I could connect it to experiences of my own, um, like within, you know, kind of my extended family. And then now as a parent myself, I relate to it in a totally different way. Mm. And so I think you can actually learn different things at different points in your life from the same book. Oh, I love that actually. It's not something I think about a lot because I don't often reread, but I do think that's a really good idea and maybe I should go back and read some of the books that I really enjoyed when I was younger to kind of see what I get out of them the next time around. What's Mm. one that you really enjoyed when you were younger? Well, actually, I had a book that when I was younger, I didn't fully understand, but it did help me to understand grief and loss. It's called mm-hmm. Old Pig. It's not. A, it's a pretty obscure book. It's by Margaret Wilde and it's a picture book. Um, mm-hmm. But it was this beautiful story about the, like an old pig who passes away 
and it explores oh. what happens. Yeah, and like, but so old pig lives with um a younger pig, right? They live together, and then yeah. one day old pig dies. Just, I'm not doing this justice at all, but like and we all got bacon. <laughs> that <laughs> is not very vegan. <laughs> We're freegan. <laughs> no, there's no. <laughs> Sorry, no, yeah, you're going. <laughs> there's no bacon involved in. There were no pigs were harmed in the, in the writing of this book. No, so like old pig passes away. So it goes through their like daily routine and their life together. And then what happens when old pig kind of gets sick, goes to bed, and then never co- never comes out, never wakes up. And oh. it was given to me. But I think some of my family bought it when um, my grandfather was passing away when he was really sick to help me understand what happened to him, right, like what was happening and what happened to him. Um, And every time I read it, I tear up because it is a beautiful story about grief and loss, but it tells it in terms that kids can understand. And I just think that that's a really beautiful thing for, for kids to understand like it's a hard thing to explain to children, but the book gives you the language to do it. Yeah. It's just, yeah, yeah I thought it was a really good move um, by whoever gave it to my parents when that happened. I think I was seven. Like I was really young and I didn't understand what was happening and they explained it really beautifully through the book. I really like, I really like that in that instance they're explaining to you a, a quite a, difficult concept but in a really simple way and I think too often we go oh this is a bit tricky to explain to a child so we just actually will just skip right past it and we won't address it but I think you're underestimating how much kids take in and actually how capable they are of understanding and and grasping different emotions or situations Mm. Um, and like you obviously don't have to give them every single detail but you do need to help them process their feelings Mm. one of the authors I'm loving at the moment is Julia Donaldson because she does this great thing where she like tells a story that has like layers so it's got the layer for the kids and then it's got the layer for the adults yes genuinely funny so like the Gruffalo has this really great kind of narrative about being clever and about using your cleverness to survive or like you know, to trick other people um, and to beat a a bully or somebody who's dangerous. Um, And the snail and the whale's got this really great story about, you know, determination and how it doesn't matter how small you are, you can still make a big impact on people's lives. Um, There's also one called The Baddies, which I just adore. It's so clever (laughs) and it's this story about, you know, this little mouse outwitting these typical bad guys and just how clever it is. I just love it. And I just think that those sorts of stories, they've got these really great life advice built into them mm-hmm. without necessarily like, and they're clever because they they kind of slip it in there, but it's not this it's not the essence of the story itself. It's like, yeah, I don't know. It's kind of underhandedly wrinkle. A sprinkle of a little something extra. Sprinkle, yeah. It's really clever. I really enjoy it and I just I enjoy reading them because they've also got these great rhyming schemes and they're just beautiful to read. So 
I definitely recommend those for like clever life advice slipped in with a good narrative. There's a lot of really great children's books out there, but I think there's also a lot of really good books for adults. And I know there's a lot of self-help books out there. Um, Yes. Have you read um, Jamila Rousey's Not Just Lucky? Did I give that to uh, you? Yeah, I was going to say, you know I've read it because you gave it to me. (laughs) And I have gifted it to so many people, particularly when I worked in challenging workplaces. Yes. (laughs) Or people struggle. Oh my gosh, yeah. that this is one of my favorite is managing up. Have you like that concept of managing up? So like yeah. anticipating your boss's needs or when you go to them with a problem, go with a solution. Mm-hmm. Don't don't just rock up and be like I've got a problem. Come with a solution in hand. It's actually it's how I operate at work. I never ever go anywhere without also having a solution in mind. But I also found it really helpful in understanding why women often behave a certain way in mm. the workplace and that actually we we are having to train ourselves out of bad habits because and I know we see a lot about this in lots of different forums you know in how we engage in a meeting in how we might talk to a male supervisor in how um, we might accept people speaking to us it's about having confidence in your ability and that I guess the name comes from it that you're not just lucky to be there you're there because you're skilled you're there because you're talented you're there because you know what you're doing and um, that's why you've been employed not because you've lucked out and ended up in this position they've yes. employed you for a reason yeah absolutely and just getting like helping to evade that um oh my god what's it called why is it going on ahead syndrome Imposter syndrome. Yeah. Like absolutely stopping yourself from thinking all the time, I'm not good enough. I'm just lucky to be here. And then like just undercutting that with like, no, you're not. No, you're not. You've actually worked hard to to be where you are. Yeah. I just, I love it. I also, I really love her discussion about the way we speak about women managers and other Mm -hmm. women in the workplace and how we Mm -hmm. don't talk about men in the same terms. I found yep. that really helpful and just, yeah, I feel like that's that's a self-help book that I'm like, this is why self-help books should exist. It's a good one. Yeah. yeah. Do you know, I liked this so much that I was, like, you know, I followed Jamila on Instagram and all the, like, you know, all the socials and all that kind of stuff and I followed a lot of her writing um, because at a time I was a journalist too and I went to an event that she was speaking at. I don't know if I've ever told you this story. No, you haven't. I rocked up and I was like, oh, my gosh, this Jamila Rizvi. And I was just chatting to another journal who was there that I didn't know I hadn't met before that day. And I was saying to her, oh, I just love Jamila. I just love everything she does. I think she's fantastic. Next minute, Jamila Rizvi walks up and walks up to this person. It's like, hey, how are you going? They clearly know each other super well. Then I got stuck in this conversation with the two of them, but I was very much an awkward third wheel because they were having a great conversation, but I didn't know how to move away. And I realized I just told this good friend of hers um, that I was like obsessed with her and I can't <laughs> help but think that they went back and laughed about it afterwards. <laughs> I don't think friend not, but. Did her friend not like help you to feel smoother in that conversation? Like, did she not help you out? And like, I think they might have been like older friends in the sense that I think they might have gone 
they might have worked together in an old job where they were quite yeah. close yeah. but they hadn't seen each other for a while and so I think they were trying to do that whole like catch-up business and I was there like I don't know what to do <laughs> this reminds me of when I met Julia Baird and she signed oh. my copy of Victoria the Queen <laughs> oh my goodness so I was like I, I had been reading it little bit by little bit. It is the best piece of nonfiction I have ever read. I Ooh. loved it. It is like I don't really like biographies. I find them boring. Mm. That book is not boring. It is revelatory. It's so interesting to me because it takes this figure that we think of as like so staid and boring and she absolutely brought her to life. She brought it to life mm. off the page. It's, I actually, and I've read a little bit of her other stuff as well. Um, phosphorescence, I think, is really mm-hmm. fair. I didn't write yeah. it nearly as much as Victoria the Queen. Her, like, her ability to write, like, a historical biography about Queen Victoria and access that she got. Like, one of the stories yeah. she tells is about how Queen Victoria had this painting of, um, like in in her one of her many houses and it was like one of the first paintings she bought for herself but the painting is really naughty because it's got like women having a cup of tea like they're having a, a picnic or something but under one of the women's skirts is like an extra pair of legs <laughs> yeah and like so it takes this like you know, this woman who we think of as this really staid, straight-laced kind of person and yeah. completely lifts the lid on that and this incredible propaganda machine that that jumped into action when she died. Like her daughter was like burning her letters, burning her stuff. Like they wanted to project a really specific vision mm-hmm. of her and I just love that this book completely rips that apart and, and offers a, a richer portrait of the real person, the real historical figure that was Queen Victoria. And I I just think that that's actually a good lesson for life of like what is someone projecting and then what is really going on underneath and are they projecting the same person that they are? Is there an alignment there mm-hmm. or is there like an awareness that you've got to kind of project a different version of yourself? I feel like... Because I know it's a massive book that the next time I have to go on a long plane journey or something, I'm going to borrow that book from you. you I actually referenced her phosphorescence book today to someone because they were talking about ocean swims. And I'm sure it was her that was doing these ocean swims as a way of um, clearing her head. I, I, I'm kind of with you. There was a real, oh, it's so amazing. And I enjoyed it. And I actually got a lot from it. Actually, one of my colleagues gave it to me um in a previous job when things were really I guess dark and it was about looking for the light and um yeah so I think that that was quite nice about looking for the the light and things and looking for the good um so I feel like that was something that I needed at the time when I got given it and I did actually I quite like Julia Baird so I didn't I I enjoyed reading a bit about her as well Mm. um Sorry, when, sorry, when I met her, the like I just realized I forgot to tell the story about when I met her. <laughs> um, I went up to her with this copy of Victoria the Queen, and I was like, I'm reading it really slowly. I, I don't let myself read more than 10 pages a night so that I it just keeps going. And in my copy of the book, she's like, Thanks for your discernment. 
Oh, <laughs> little does she know she's changed her life. Thank you, Julia. Quite fancy a nonfiction book, actually. Ugh. Um, like no, but not not so much a biography. But I really like things like um Elaine de Baton. I probably say his name oh, wrong. I need um, to read some of this guy's work. He sounds great. Yeah, and I bought like I bought I think I bought School of Life maybe with you, but we went to um a conference one year. But one book that I read probably when I was in my very early twenties was um Constellations of Philosophy, and it's got it's about there's six chapters and they're all related to different philosophers throughout history. There's three modern and three ancient, and they're supposed to help through help you through really kind of specific things. So there's like a chapter around working through a broken heart. There's a chapter around working through anxiety, but it's tied to that specific philosophers' philosophies. <laughs> I actually um, really want to read this now. That sounds awesome. It's, and it's a really small, it's quite a little book and it's not a very complicated read because you like me, like I'm pretty interested in ancient history. I know you are too. And I think that's how I ended up with it in the first instance. But I, it just was really helpful around seeing things with a different perspective mm. or trying to apply a different philosophy to a situation that you might have had a lot of emotions about, but just actually kind of bring you around to look at it from a different angle. Um, it's actually making me, now that we've talked about this, it's actually making me want to go and read it again because oh, I've read it so read much. It. I'm sure, dare I say, I'm sure I even wrote in the margins. I'm just looking because I, I brought it I brought it in with me. But I'm sure that I used to. I want to say, oh, here, look, I've, I've got an arrow. Oh, my gosh, what is the arrow? <laughs> That's not helpful because it's got no context, so ignore that. Oh, here, we will cease to be so angry once we cease to be so hopeful. I feel like also that's... That's not great without so context. Sad. That sounds so sad. What are you? We're leaving that in the potty. <laughs> and in the Senecan view, what makes us angry are dangerously optimistic notions about the world and other and other people alike. Oh, so it's basically saying manage your expectations. Yeah, it's consolation of frustration. It's about managing your expectations. If you expect people to be able to move mountains, well, then you can't be frustrated when they don't because people can't generally move mountains. Yeah. So that's, I think that's, that's what the moral is there. I'm actually on board with that. I think lowering your expectations sometimes can be a really useful thing. I think, that, um, have you read the Midnight Library? Yes. I think so you lent me your copy. Did I give it back to you? Uh, maybe. Um, and Matt Haig kind of, he, I think he actually references Elaine de Botton. Elaine de Botton. De, de, I'm going to go with it. Sounds French. Is he French? Sounds good. <laughs> Elaine um, de Botton. Um, I think he actually references him in like in his books, but like he explores the philosophy through the narrative. And I think that this mm. is a really effective way that books actually kind of share with you their ideas and their values and their views of the world is through the narrative. And I was like in preparing for this episode, have been thinking about books that have presented a story, but I've extracted life advice from that story. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like, obviously, so obviously Matt Haig's Midnight Library for me is like, there's no point having regrets. Don't have regrets because they're a waste of time without spoiler mm-hmm. alert. Um, regrets are pointless. Yeah. Like, like, Although woulda, coulda, shoulda. Yeah. Yeah. It's really unhelpful. And I really enjoy that about the Midnight Library. Mm. Um, yeah. So like, are there books for you that like have taught you life lessons through the storyline? Oh, like adult, adult books. Oh, I think, oh, I can't think so much of a particular book, but I really started to shift my reading towards a little bit more literary fiction. And I can actually remember, um, I can actually remember one of the books that got me back into literary, literary fiction because it wasn't super climactic. It didn't have like the big finish. It didn't have, um, there wasn't like a great romance. Life didn't work out fantastically. Yeah. But I found that I'm really enjoying these books that have flawed characters because that's Mm. human and Mm. that people aren't inherently good or inherently bad. Good, You can make good decisions and bad decisions. And I really like I'm really liking the sh- maybe the shift that I'm noticing, maybe more so in what I'm choosing to read around, um, I guess, it's away from this idealistic, everyone is fantastic and wonderful and only does the right thing and then there's the bad person who's always, you know, got a dark soul or whatever. Yeah. It's that, it's that people are complex. And I, I really I really like that. I've actually been reading it's probably a lot of Jane Harper, which – I know she's probably a bit more um, mainstream, but I really enjoy her books. I really enjoy mystery. Yeah. But I find that page she turners. has this really good way of describing things as terrifying and beautiful at the same time. Mm-hmm. And so, like, particularly when she talks about the Australian outback or the bush or, or different parts of um, Australia, she makes them sound beautiful because they are, but she also really highlights that these things can be beautiful and terrifying at the same time and I quite like that complex type of writing I like it too I actually think that she really makes the Australian landscape like a character in her books yes like yes brought in um I'm not sure I can claim that phrase because I think I got it from a friend from work but like (laughs) I think she does do that like I really think she does she makes the setting part such an an integral part of what happens between people in her mm. writing. It's mm-hmm. really interesting. It's almost like it's acting as a character, not just as the location where the characters are acting upon each other. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I find yeah. it really fascinating. It's, yeah, very clever writing. Mm, I like it. Oh, I, I just thought of another one. It's not a it's not an adult's book. It's technically a children's book, but I would say that this is actually my favorite book. Um because I think it relates to people of any age, like we we're talking about before. And it's Dr. Zeus's Oh, The Places You'll Go. Um, and I know I know you have a few versions of this because I know that I bought one for for um your little one, and I know other people probably did too, because it's such a classic. But um I can I can honestly recite the first 
I think it's like the first five pages because it's about understanding that you have choices and actually you're, you get to decide what you're going to do and what decisions you're going to make next, whether you're um, a child going into primary school, whether you're leaving school and now going out into the world and going to the workforce and, or you've just turned 18. Like I, I've seen a lot of people gift this book for really significant kind of milestone moments in people's lives. But I think what makes it most important is it shows that you're kind of in charge of your own destiny. And yes, it's set in the wild world of Dr. Seuss. <laughs> um, so it's completely, you know, in a whole different realm. But the meaning still stays the same of that you're in you're in charge now. You get to you get to choose. You're the one that decides what direction you go and you are smart and you you know the things that you know and that's actually enough. So mm. I, I really like that. I like that book because I think it actually has a really good exploration of failure and yes. that it's okay to fail and that failure is how you learn. I love that because that's growth mindset, understanding that you have to fail to get better at things. And I just think that that's a really rich lesson. And I don't think it's touched on enough. I don't think there's enough in our society that kind of says, did you fail? Good job. That's good. Mm. It's good that you learn from that. I also, this is a bit of a tangent, but one of my pet peeves is participation awards. Mm. I don't think that you should be rewarded for literally turning up. That's not, that's not a skill. And when you get into the real world, you're going to realize that no one's going to pat you on the back just because you got out of bed and walked into work that day. Um, <laughs> but they, I was reading something that was talking about, um, the most effective type of rewards and it was that actually un what's the word um inconsistent is, yeah. is that the right word um unexpected what's the worst like not con- the same oh my god what's this word <laughs> the word for like it it can happen at any time it's not on a routine no, like unexpected but <laughs> Oh my god! I write for a living, and I cannot think of this word. Um, <laughs> but basically, the idea that like it's inconsistent, so it's that you know sometimes you might get rewarded for that behavior, but actually the next time you might not. And that if you're you're not rewarded for it every time, you're mm. not rewarded for it every second time. It's just that sometimes you're acknowledged for it, and sometimes sometimes you're not. But actually, when they are rewarded at those infrequent moments, that is when, in particular, children tend to respond better to that's, to the that's fascinating because I wouldn't have thought that that was the case at all I would have thought consistency was key do you know who is really good at like exploring failure and their own life journey and like mistakes along the way Dolly Alderton have you read any Dolly Alderton no I don't She's think like, it's, what's her main book she wrote Everything I Know About Love and another one called Ghosts. She's a mm. columnist for the um, the Times in the UK. Oh. She does a Dear Dolly. And they're like yeah. her advice column is it's awesome because she's such a deep, rich thinker, but she explores things so um, like in such millennial terms, right? Like she's <laughs> just so relatable. Um her book Ghosts is awesome. It's it's an exploration of modern dating and it's great. 
It's Oof. really good. <laughs> yeah. And then um, everything I know about love is her like autobiographical story. Like it's gorgeous and it, it really explores like what she didn't know about love and her dating life and like what that's been like for her and um, being single and then being, yeah, it's just a beautiful story. They actually turned it into a TV show. It's that good. Like she's great. Oh, really? And pardon? They turned it into a TV show? Yeah, they turned it into a TV show. It's on Stan maybe. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah it's yeah. really good. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, should check it out. But I really, I really rate Dolly Alderson for that. She just, she explores like life advice and her advice column is obviously very overt. And she's also, I think she's actually published some of her most popular columns in a book as well, um, oh. which is a great idea. Smart. Double up your pay. Um, but, yeah, <laughs> everything, everything I know about love is just this beautiful book about life and the realities of living in the modern world, and it's very cool. It is on Stan. I'm going to watch it. Yeah. I'm going to add it to my list of things to watch. Enjoy. Also, I really enjoy British humour. Me too. I'm a big fan of British humor. I find it really or even yeah. or even British even British books too, probably, because I think I feel like they tell stories in a much more real way. A bit like what you were describing then with Dolly. Like it's a real look at it, not the kind of shiny version where everything's wonderful. It's actually like a really kind of real life gritty look at it all. Yeah, it's not that kind of romanticized yeah like version yeah I like that too I do you know who I do love that did romanticize things so mm-hmm. Jane <laughs> Jane Austen have you read Persuasion of course I've read Persuasion yeah yeah Nicole I've... you and I have been to her house <laughs> we have we've been to her house and we dressed up and <laughs> it was really fun we also to went to her I feel like we need to be clear. We dressed up at, with clothes that were supplied at the location. We did not dress up as Jane Austen and take ourselves there dressed up. I just think there's a very significant difference in that. Yeah, but I have a cracking photo of you and I think it's going to go on the Instagram this week. <laughs> Great. Great. Love yeah. that for us. Ellie looked really good in a straw hat. <laughs> but it was great. It was cool. Persuasion, I think, is one of the best, like, I so it's my favourite of mm-hmm. of the Austen novels. Um, and it, I, I just love the message it sends about don't waste time. Um, don't waste time. If you have a shot at love with the person you care about, seize it and enjoy it and embrace it. Don't mess about with it. And I also love the message about persuasion itself, which is where it derives its title from, about watching out who has influence over you and your decision-making and being mindful and careful about the choices you make and about who might might shape your decision-making. And are you making choices for yourself? Do you have the strength mm. of character to make choices, hard choices for yourself? Or are you actually being led astray um, and are you making choices that are about other people's influence over you? And just being watchful I suppose or mindful that that is something that can happen I'm gonna say that I think my favorite is and I'm sure I'm gonna get them all mixed up sense and sensibility yeah is that one yeah 
that the one with Wordsworth or Wadsworth or whatever? No. I've Who? made that personal. Is it the one where she misses, she thinks she misses her opportunity with the handsome soldier guy and then he comes back later? No, that's persuasion. Captain Wentworth. Wadsworth. Wentworth. Maybe that's what I'm doing. I knew I was going to mix them up. Is this the one where she's like, oh, they do that old version. There's like an old version. What am I going to get confused with? Sense and sense of. Sense and sensibility is like the two sisters and you've got one who is sensible and one who is driven by her emotions. Yes, that's the one I think that I like. Whether the older sister says no to a match and then she kind of is becoming this, doesn't she become like an older spinster? Not spinster, but she's like bordering on spinster. (laughs) You fuse them in your head. Persuasion, like Anne Elliot refuses Captain Wentworth when she's young. Oh, yes, 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 it's persuasion. And you know what I'm thinking the other one is? (laughs) You know what I thought persuasion was this whole time? Oh, my gosh. Pride and prejudice. Um, Little women. Oh, little Older one that doesn't carry because she's writing all the books. (laughs) Not the old one, but the one that writes the books. (laughs) That's a very different book. That's a very different book. Confused. Okay, so I'm on board with it because that is so persuasion is also my favorite. Oh great. Yes. Great. <laughs> I love it so much. You I just think... I get those ones mixed up. Sorry. Like and sent, um Jane Eyre as well, like all the Bronte mm. ones. Bronte all ones Bronte... I can't keep track of. Bronte just sisters and all the Austins. Little women are Bronte? No. Louisa May Alcott, she's American, mate. Man, oh, this just goes to show that's not my realm of of uh let's just edit all this part out <laughs> so I sound articulate again. That'd be really helpful. The worst part is I have read all those books. But this is the problem is I've read all the books and I've read all of those and I get them all mixed up because they a little bit sound the same. But I'm on board. I'm on board with your persuasion thing now that I've understood that I am talking about the correct book and that it is the one that I like for the same reasons that you like it, not just because they are the reasons that you like them, but because I also have the same opinion. You also love it. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So good. So good. I yeah, miss that you're at your leisure. <laughs> my favourite, I would have to say, though, my favourite novelist of all time currently is Sally Rooney. Mm-hmm. I love her books. I love them so much. I just they I feel like they speak to me. They speak to my life experience. I know they don't speak to everybody's, but they really capture me and like my this moment that we're in. I feel like they capture the modern zeitgeist really well. Um and I just and like modern sentiments, modern relationships the kind of messiness and reality of human beings, the nuance. Mm-hmm. And my favourite thing is about, like this concept of the feminist care ethic. I'm not going to go into it now because I want us to like dedicate a whole podcast to the feminist care ethic. But I love that it prioritises. The feminist care ethic is about prioritising relationships over modern individualism and exploring mm. how that individualism separates us and it makes us a little bit selfish and how that kind of contributes to social breakdown 
whereas the feminist care ethic is really um really advocates for interconnection uh like interdependence um and people doing things together like creating a social fabric that's really close-knit and how that makes us a more effective society I love it I think it's so fascinating do you know, I was actually just talking to someone about that today because they were talking about how their family had just done a tour in Copenhagen and these um, Americans were on the tour and they were talking about, well, how come Denmark is considered the happiest country in the world? And they were saying, well, just from one of, like, one of the things that they used as their base comparison was that um, – in the US, everything's very individualized. You are responsible for your healthcare. You are responsible for getting a job. You are responsible for looking after you. Where in places like Denmark, we all look after each other. And if if my neighbors are good, my family's good, then we're all, then I'm good because we're, we're all good. So, and yeah, he was just saying that the Americans are really struggling with that concept, but something that sounds so simple is the basis of this really, really different societies. Yeah, it's like what you were talking about last week with this concept of um, you should, like what you should be concerned about is if you're looking in your neighbour's bowl is that they've got enough, Mm. right? Mm. I love that. And I just think that our society would benefit so much from from having um, an attitude of care and connection. Um, I really have been confronted by it being on maternity leave you're so isolated in your home by yourself with a baby you don't know how to care for and Mm -hmm. you might be lucky and your mum who had a baby a long time ago might remember all the details about how to raise a baby but you Mm -hmm. might also be like me where my mum's like I don't really remember I've had like a flourishing career and done heaps of other things in between raising children and now and so like I didn't have that wealth of knowledge to draw on from other people necessarily and I'm alone in my home and I was chatting about it with my obstetrician and he was like yeah the way we live in like the 21st century with all of us in our own individual little houses does not make any sense it's not good for Mm -hmm. women what's good for women is like collective living it's like yes there are people around to help you raise the baby it's doing it together it's like yeah, like when like when Chris um when Jenko went back to work, I was so alone at home for a while until you know my mother's group got established and we were chatting and I created a routine for myself where I got out during the day. But mm-hmm. like that's not those things are not like normal to when you're trying to raise a baby. You're not supposed to do that in isolation. We're social beings. We naturally congregate. That's how we function. Maybe we should lean into that a little bit more and less into this like hyper-individualized lifestyle. I think this is definitely another podcast because I actually read an article about um, a number of single parents who have found it more beneficial to live together and raise all their kids together and share that load than it is to try and set up house by themselves, not just from a financial standpoint, but from that caring, knowing that people are always there. Someone's going to be home. Someone who understands what you're going through is there and you can talk to about it. Um, So I think this is definitely another podcast episode. I actually, I read that same article and it's a really good one about the communal living. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. In America, so America, I think it was. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think I read it in the New York times. It was really good and such an exploration of like what actually works. I mean, I think those women, I think a lot of the women in living in that um, commune were like single women, but I don't think yeah. it's just single women who would benefit from it. I think oh, yeah. so many people would benefit from it. I don't, however, <laughs> I say that I'm not sure I want to do it. <laughs> you always sound so articulate, Nicole, when you talk about novels. Oh, I'm an English teacher. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, that makes sense. (laughs) I should hope so. And I actually, I would say that half my vocabulary seems to be missing tonight and I'm really missing it. I want it back. (laughs) Well, you sound pretty smart to me. I feel like I'm using third grader language and you're using kind of um, PhD level language. (laughs) What's the the, um, Hemingway readability flash was a flash readability scale i think we're on different levels there. <laughs> that's a weird know. reference for you we can do it that <laughs> <laughs> i like it um do you know who is another like total feminist powerhouse book like a total feminist powerhouse book that i love mm-hmm. the power i don't know that i've read that it is awesome it just like illustrates the fragility of the patriarchy so well Wow, that feels like I feel like a W A N K E R. Um, like I can't talk about these topics without. Uh, but no, you're allowed to talk about these topics because they've like made you feel like you can't, and that by talking about it, that that you know, I think there's a lot of um. Oh well, there's a bit of what's the word like pe- pe- pe around being a feminist and talking about the patriarchy and I always joke because I go down with the patriarchy and <laughs> KB like, um oh I got it sounds like a bit of toxic masculinity or whatever and it's always like oh but I think we for some reason we feel like we can't actually what you're saying is literally just what the book's about you're allowed it, to do that yeah absolutely I'm like and I actually I, yeah I, I don't know, like, I don't have an issue with being like, that's patriarchal and not okay. Um, and in this instance, like, this book is so good at just showing you that the world, like, men's power rests on physical dominance and mm-hmm. this book, like, flips that on its head. But just remembering that and then finding ways to outsmart it, I think is really important. And the book kind of explores what happens if women could physically dominate men what would happen to the world order but we'd be smarter and stronger (laughs) (laughs) but I just think I I wish we could live in a world where we do kind of have parity It, it makes me long for that world and and I guess it offers a vision of it of it being a possibility and I want to read more books like this like I want to read more material that is like reminding me that the status quo does not have to remain so, that you can reinvent it, that you can change it. Yeah, I think there's more of those books coming out. Me too. Yeah, ladies dominate. They just, yeah, female authors, they're crushing it. But not even just female authors, I would say people who identify in many different ways are actually getting a bit more of a voice and different experiences and different perspectives are starting to come through, which I think for people who are actually want, like actually reading those, I think it really opens up people's eyes and exposes them to things that like, 
certain communities probably would never be exposed to. I mean, you and I grew up in the Bible Belt of Sydney and inevitably there are just some things that we're we weren't exposed to as kids. So I think literature is one of the few ways that people can explore worlds that are so different to their own or experiences and belief systems or whatever that are so different to what they're used to. Absolutely. Really- there are these in, these these incredible things called mirror neurons in our minds where, you know, if somebody's waving, you know, in your brain, your brain registers that and knows how to wave, like knows how to perform the action. Does that make sense? But- but don't we already know how to perform the action? Yeah, that's what I mean. So, like, when you see someone waving, like I'm waving at you now over yeah. Zoom, um, you can, like, in your head, you have, like, a schema in your brain that knows how to do that. Literature does something really similar in our brains that when we have a life experience through literature, our brains kind of file it away these mirror neurons kind of fire and our brains tend to file it away as life experience, even though you haven't actually done it. Mm. Yeah. Mm. There's been some really interesting um, research into it, um, into the relationship between like narrative and your, your brain and how your brain functions. It's really cool. But I just love that about literature. I think it's incredible that literature can give you a wealth of life experiences and sure, like it's not going to be the same as actually living it and doing it, but in your brain can kind of be tricked into thinking you've got life experiences you don't have. That is really interesting. Yeah. So is it that you will think that you've experienced certain emotions because you've read this those about those experiences and you felt as though you were experiencing that experience and therefore you've had those emotions? Yeah. I like that because I I would say that I could be quite moved by 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 novels and I think I was mentioning before um I can remember the novel that got me back into reading literature and appreciating kind of a bit more not serious but the, what's the word for is it literature as opposed to fiction what's the word for things that are a bit more Literature as like a category is just, it's a snobby way of referring to good books. Um, Okay. I actually think that it's not okay to have classes of books. I am really egalitarian when it comes to literature (laughs) and literature means writing. So I, I think we really have to stop thinking in terms of like, this is good stuff and this is the crap stuff because what does it matter if people are reading it and they enjoy it and they get stuff out of it? That being said, yeah. I will cast aspersions on Twilight. It's rubbish. It's bad, lazy writing, and I hate it. <laughs> yes, I agree. It's, it, yeah. Mind you, I did read them all, so. <laughs> yeah, me too. And well, uh, they defense, got people reading. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they got us reading. Like, have you ever seen a book pass around so much in a playground? Harry Potter. <laughs> yeah. Harry Potter, which is much better writing. But still, yeah. like, yeah, Twilight, it was a phenomenon. Yeah, so I shouldn't mm-hmm. be judgy about it. But it is, it, like, she's an arrowroot biscuit of a human being. She's so <laughs> interchangeable. She's not a human being. She's a character. Oh, sorry. You meant, the, sorry, you meant, yes. You, oh, you I meant don't mean the- Stephanie Meyer. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh, I was like, whoa, I thought you were like, I'm not being judgy, but she is. <laughs> boring person on the planet (laughs) but yes no but that's the reason just to touch on that that's the reason that I think so many teenage girls 
related to that book because yeah. there was not there was no meat on that character that everyone could quite easily imagine that sell themselves in that character exactly arrowroot biscuit <laughs> she's an arrowroot biscuit like you dress her up you get the icing and the lollies out and put what you want on her like you <laughs> I love that that's I love that I mean yeah that's fun <laughs> just she's so blank that you she could be anyone she's the every girl and so yeah. because and of that no one <laughs> she's also no one and and yeah. then you know don't even get me started on the terrible behavior like he oh. is predatory he's so creepy it's not okay and it's not romantic for someone to watch you sleep that's pretty weird but also the way that she responds to him breaking up with her or not being around or whatever like that just her responses to things are implied as being totally normal but they are incredibly irrational yeah like they are they are yeah and yeah. to normalize that as you know appropriate behavior right? especially in teenagers yeah I think it's quite problematic yeah. but I do I go through cycles though like I just need sometimes I just need a good book that gets me motivated into reading again and like it was um Jane Harper's The Dry and then I went on this whole Jane Harper tangent but I have this really core memory of reading Hannah Kent's Burial Rites. Um, it's on my shelf. I, I haven't read it. It's it's really, it's really good. Um, I think it's her debut novel, actually, and I only bought it because I saw her at the Sydney Writers Festival and I went to see Melina Marchetta, who I've already said that I loved, um, <laughs> and everyone said so many things to say about it. So I'm like, I'll just read, I'll, I'll get it and see it. And I really enjoyed it because it was one of the first books that I remember reading that um didn't have this really big wow ending it didn't end fantastically it like had a conclusion but it wasn't that everybody came out on top in the end I'm not Mm. without like spoiling too much the story but what it got me doing is actually appreciating the story story and and the ups and downs and that there's beautiful moments and there's tragic moments and that sometimes the enjoyment of a book and life as well is not trying to like work towards the big finale it's actually appreciating all the bits along the way Mm. and whether that's actually in the novel itself or whether it's just your emotions and experiences of of that novel um yeah, I think that was a bit of a turnaround for me. Oh, that's really beautiful. That actually is, yeah, okay, I need to go and read it. Maybe I'll start tonight. Or just to be clear, it's a it there it's not a like happy go lucky lighthearted read. <laughs> like no. it's like not heavy, but it's like there's there's quite challenging things in there. It's literally like right here on my bookshelf. I reckon I'm going to yeah, I'm going to go. I'm going to go. I'm going to go read it right now. Read some of it right now before I go to bed. And I have I have um already up on Stan that Dolly, uh, is it Alderton? I can't say her name. Alderton. Alderton. So that's what I'll be doing right. when I'm trying to 
convince myself that I'm staying awake, but actually I'm falling asleep. Everything I know about love on stand, I'm I've got it lined up. Ready Enjoy. I'm right, very well, excited. I'm gonna go do that now. <laughs> okay. Well, good luck. It is very late. It's late. It's time to go. Let's not pretend you're not just gonna read one one page, and I'm gonna get through roughly five minutes of this episode before I fall asleep and have to rewrind the whole thing. I know exactly <laughs> how it's gonna work. Yeah. And I'm fine right. with it. All right. Yeah. Love you, mate. Talk to you right, later. Talk to you later. Love you. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Unsolicited Advice Podcast, brought to you by the Unsolicited Advice column. For more information, head on over to our Instagram or to get in touch, leave a Spotify voicemail. Thanks for listening.